Um, there are several scriptures that I'm going to like go back to and cross-reference. Some of these are the same story in you know, different gospels. Some of them are additional stories. Um, and then there's just some expletives that go along with uh, the, the last three of the Old Testament there. <clears throat> let's see, where am I? So let's start with reading this particular passage. find it. Hang on. Oh, here it is. I turned to Luke 10, not not 11. My my bad. So the the title of this is A House Divided or A House Divided Cannot Stand, and I think we're all familiar with that. Um, There's a little bit additional information I'd like to give you there, too, that that I never thought about. Um, Is that too loud? Sounds really loud to me. Um, So I'm just going to read it first. Okay. So Luke eleven fourteen, and he was casting out a demon and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub or Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven, but he knowing their thoughts said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So I'm going to break this apart a little bit. Um, The first, you know, hundred times I read this, it was, the emphasis was on different areas. But I think there's a lot more to this than then uh, it appears, I know when, when Russell asked me to do this and I went over it and this is just the one I chose, I really had no idea what I was going to talk about. I didn't. Um, but God revealed some things to me through it, through the study. And I think that one of the most important parts of this is that Jesus is, so there's, there's Pharisees in the crowd. It's not just a bunch of people. There's Pharisees in the crowd here. Um, as there always were, there were Pharisees that followed him around trying to disprove who he was and, you know, trying to, to make him look like some kind of evil villain and a follower of Satan and all these other things. And, um, and God used that because several of the Pharisees actually came to him and started following him. But, and I think it was because of reasons like this that that happened. So this is a profound verse where Jesus actually proves to, him, to, to those around him, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that he is the Messiah. Um, so we'll start with the beginning here, uh, and it was, and, and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So that doesn't sound like it's that important, but it's extremely important. A mute demon, according to Jewish tradition, could not be cast out. For a Jewish, in, in rabbinical texts and, and teachings, you first had to acquire the name of the demon to be able to throw it out. So they just looked at a mute demon like, well, well, there's nothing we can do. So when he cast this demon out, it's, you know, he says here that uh, when the demon was cast out, he spoke and the multitudes marveled. So that, that made the Pharisees, I think it made them super jealous. Like, 
How is he doing that? This is the second time he's done that. He's cast out a mute demon before, um, which we can read, which we'll read about in Matthew in a second. But I think that's probably the most significant part of this verse is the fact that he didn't have to go through burning the sulfur. He didn't have to go through the incense and the herbs and the Oftentimes they would drown people, <laughs> they would put them in water, you know, I mean, think, think of a Catholic exorcism like you see in TV and movies and stuff, and that's basically what the Jews did. That, that's, I think that's where the Catholics got it from, was, was the Jews doing that. Um, but that's what they did. And, often, and, and eventually, if it was a really strong demon, they would just beat the person until it came out of them, which often didn't happen. Uh, it's, it's true. Um, there's records of it. Uh, and uh, because the Jews are so, you know, they're kind of like, you know, self-critical a lot of the times in history, they actually record their failures too, where the Catholics don't record their failures. They're like, oh, no, we never fail. But uh, this is one of those times when they knew they would fail. I can't cast out a demon because I can't get its name. The guy does not speak. Um, and this has happened, like I said, a couple of other times in Scripture as well. Uh, if we look back at, and, and their responses are pretty, pretty profound when the things that they say. So if we, if we look at first at Matthew 12, 22 through 23, um, this, is, uh, this is a direct reference to this particular exorcism. It's the same story in Matthew. Um, where is it? I'm going to put my glasses on. Okay, so... Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both, saw, both spoke and saw. And the multitudes were amazed, and they said, could this be the son of David? So we, I don't know if y'all, what that means is the son of David was a direct reference to the Messiah. So, and that comes from Isaiah. That's what the, the, the passage in Isaiah here, 9, 6 through 7, is basically Isaiah explaining the power of the Messiah is God. Like, he is God in the flesh. Um, so, it's, in Isaiah 6 through 7, it says that, you know, for unto us a child is born. I think we all know this scripture, but I want to go ahead and reiterate it. Uh, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and, the name, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's significant. Mighty God, everlasting Father. So literally they're saying that the Messiah, Jesus, Isaiah is saying that the Messiah will be God in the flesh. And at the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David over his kingdom. So where he says upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, that's where they get the terminology, the son of David. For a son will be born to us and it will be from David's throne. So there were people in this crowd who were saying, this couldn't possibly be the son of David. He's performing miracles the way that the Messiah should, right? He's doing all of these things that only God can do, but it can't be him because he's dirty, he's poor, he has nothing, he has, you know, people, not everybody loves him. It's like he's not delivering us from Rome right now. This, is, this can't be the Messiah, could it? And then they go on to say, Specifically, in this passage, right after that, they demanded from him, they, they were thinking, we demand from him a sign. He just exercised a mute demon, man. Is that not sign enough? How many more signs do we need, you know? But, let's, but if we reflect on that, how often do we deny the power of God when miracles happen in our life? I mean, how often? I mean, I'd, I'd say more often than not. You know, we chalk it up to coincidence or we chalk it up to... I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. It's no big deal. 
But man, this is the power of God, and it's not always big stuff. It's not always casting out demons. Sometimes it's just, and I love the story of the floating axe head, from, you know, where Elisha, the guy drops the axe head in the water, and Elisha and he goes, oh my gosh, it was borrowed, and Elisha's like, eh, okay, where did it fall? And he brings the axe head, you know, it floats, and he takes it. So what? It's an axe head. No big deal. Get a new one. But it's the little things that God performs miracles in, which is why I encourage everybody to pray about everything. But, um, and if we go on here um, after the sign, and of course Jesus knows their, their thoughts, and he's, you know, I think Jesus gets so sick and tired of people asking for a sign after he performs a sign. And he performs, you know, sign after sign after sign. How many signs do you want, you know? I mean, and, and I just can't get past the fact that we do that all the time. <clears throat> but here he says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. And we kind of, you know, we kind of like equate that to, you know, people being at odds with each other and how you're never going to cooperate. But I think that really resonated with the Jews of that day because of the issue with North and South Israel. So you had Jerusalem and you had Northern Israel, and they were a house divided. I mean, even at this point, Northern Israel was Samaria, basically. They're our enemies. They're no longer even part of us. Imagine what Rome would have been up against if Israel had been a house not divided, a house united, they wouldn't, t- they wouldn't have been able to touch them because God would have been on their side. God would have defended them. He would have pushed them through all of these issues. So a lot of times, even though our house is divided, we feel like we're okay because the Jews at the end of the day thought they were fine. They were just like, okay, so those guys separated themselves, but we're the righteous and we're good to go. But the truth is, is they weren't because God had left them. He wasn't with them anymore. That's why they couldn't cast out a mute demon. So we have to be careful about the little things that we divide ourselves amongst in the church. And it's not just big doctrines. It's not just major theological differences. There's little things too, you know, I mean, a lot of gossip, you know, maybe in, in amongst the people in the congregation, this person, this, and this person, that, and I can't, you know, I can't stand the way they do this. Man, those things are just irrelevant. Don't do that. Don't cause division, not only like in the net, like where you can see it, but you're causing division in your heart. So you're not willing to work with these people because you don't like something they did. We got to get past that because a house divided cannot stand in a kingdom set against itself will fall. Because I say to you, I cast out demons because I said to you, I ca- uh, or I'm sorry, because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then whom do your sons cast them out? And what he's saying here is, so this is a direct reference to the, uh, the, so there were some pretty famous Jewish exorcists in this day. You know, an example of that are the sons of Sceva, the seven sons of Sceva who tried to cast out, you know, they couldn't cast out demons all the time, so they tried to use Jesus' name, but they had no faith in, in God, so it didn't work, and then they got beat up. But there were Jewish exorcists in this day, so he's saying, who do your sons, which are the, those who, who uh, exercise in the way of, of, you know, your tradition, the sons of your tradition, not literally their sons, but who do they cast them out by? Well, obviously, they, we cast them out by the power of God, right? That's what we believe. So I think it, what he's saying there is, is you have to look at what you're doing and then what I'm doing, and they're the same thing. I just have a different connection to God than you do. Well, I am God, basically, is what he's saying. Uh, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I didn't really, 
Russell pointed this out to me yesterday, the finger of God. That, that only appears two other times in Scripture. Once is when the Ten Commandments are written. And the other one is here in Exodus 8, 17 through 19. And what, it, what happened there is, is that uh, Aaron and Moses go in and they strike the ground and all these lice come up out of the dust. And of course, Pharaoh, being Pharaoh, I'm greater than you, I'm greater than your God, because I am God on earth, told his magicians and his priests, what I want you to do is duplicate the miracle. You've been duplicating the last two, duplicate this one too. And they tried it and they couldn't do it. And they had to concede that their power comes from God himself, the finger of God. And I think what he's saying is that, that what they said is, is that this is the finger of God performing this miracle. We can't do that. We can't, we can't even touch it. So God has more power in his finger than all of the gods of Egypt combined. And that, that holds true and that, that follows through and that, that comes through the Messiah as well because he's God on earth. Through the finger of God, I have more power in my finger than all of your tradition and all of your ritual and all of the things that you've believed throughout history. I have more power than all of that. It's just in my finger. And I'm sure that was super insulting to a bunch of the Pharisees. But I'm sure it was also pretty revealing to a lot of other people in the crowd too. And then he says, I want to string this, this part I like too. And this one, th this songs were kind of, some of those songs came up, uh, had some of this in there. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his palace, his goods are in peace. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his palace. And that's not just in guarding, that's in oppression, that's in uh, possession of land. Well, you didn't just walk into a land and say, I'm going to take your stuff and be unarmed when you did it. That's just not the way it worked. Um, and in, uh, let's see if I can find that. So people knew what it meant to be heavily armed. They did. I mean, you know, they dealt with it forever. I mean, Rome was heavily armed and they had nothing, so they were conquered. But if we look at 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 7, this is uh, David and Goliath. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits, nine and a half feet tall, and a span. So what does that say about him? He's a strong man. He's strong. He's powerful. Unbeatable. Especially since he has, and it goes on to describe his armor. He had a bronze helmet on his head. Bronze was strong stuff. He had a coat of mail. I don't know. Mail is hard to cut, right? I mean, I don't know. You ever got? You guys ever wear chain mail or scale mail? I don't know if y'all are familiar with types of armor, but scale mail and chain mail—they're they're super efficient at deflecting blades. Not so great at hammers and stuff. But we know everybody used swords back then, so you know you're not going to cut through somebody wearing mail. And it talks about his staff as well. He had a bronze javelin between his shoulders. He had armor on his legs, and now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's insanely heavy. That's insanely heavy. And his... Is that me? Did I do that? Somebody does not want this to be said, right? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> 600 shekels. Man, that is a huge spearhead. Huh? 
Uh, and then, and, and the, his shield bearer went before him. So he was completely armed head to toe. So they knew how to equate uh, what Jesus was saying about a strong man being armed and being undefeatable. Like it's hard to be stronger than that. But I think he's also saying, because they were like, can this be the son of David? I believe that he's saying, I am the son of David. Because David was able to defeat Goliath with nothing. He didn't wear armor. You know, there's passages that say he put the armor on and was like, no, nah, I'm not going to wear that. This is ridiculous. I can't even walk in it. And he defeated him with a stone. You know, and I like, and I kind of, and Mel and I were talking about the other day, it's kind of like the finger of God, right? I mean, just, you know, it's, it's nothing. It's just my... Okay, you're down, you know, knocking over the pawn. He's nobody. And Jesus had done the same thing in this instance where one of Satan's most powerful weapons against exorcism was making a man mute so that he couldn't speak. You can't get the name of the demon. You can't take him out. This is mine. This is my possession. And this is my weapon against you. And Jesus said, I don't, your weapons against me are nothing. There. So then he goes back into talking about division. And man, we have to look. We have to recognize the power of God in all circumstances. We have to recognize that things that we see that are not attainable in the natural, like casting out a demon, like defeating Goliath, these things, casting out a mute demon, it's not attainable. You can't do it. We're just out of luck. That's not truth. We have to remember that that is not truth. And if we continue to believe those lies, we are divided from the truth of the gospel. We're divided from Jesus because we don't really have faith in him. There's nothing beyond his capabilities, nothing. If you're in a bad way, pray about it. You know, and, and, some, and that's demonic oppression, man. A lot of times when things happen that you don't realize are happening, it's demonic oppression. Now, you know, someone who is indwelled with the Holy Spirit, there's no room for a demon to possess, to possess us, right? If, you, if you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, there's no room. No demon can be in you. But it doesn't mean that a demon can't oppress you, that a demon cannot attach himself to you and your circumstance and cause changes in that circumstance that are, that are efficient for the enemy and not beneficial for you. So that kind of thing is happening all around us every day, all day long. And if we have faith in, in this passage, in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, he was God on earth, and he gives us the authority in his name to be done with those things, and we pray about that, what, as small as it may be, it may be nothing, you know? It may be like, you know, you know I'm, I'm, my brakes are dead on my truck, you know? What am I supposed to do? I can't drive my truck. My brakes are gone, and that's actually the truth right now. They're, they're, they're going out, but Pray before I get in it every time, and I've been fine. I mean, I have. And it's not a coincidence. He's protecting me while I, and other people while I'm driving my truck right now. That's just how it goes. But, um, and it could be huge things. It could be huge things like, man, I, I've got, you know, I'm in debt, $7,000, and I have zero way to pay that bill. God will provide that some way. He will. I know that he will. If you have the faith in him as your Messiah with power over demonic entities and demonic oppression in this life, and we do deal with that every day, then, then he'll take care of it. He will. He absolutely will. Because he loves you, and he wants what's best for you. And what we want is not always what he wants for us. What we conceive as being the best thing for us is not always the best thing for us. But 
that just goes back into having faith. I know that's a little off topic from this particular passage, but these things divide us from the power of the Holy Spirit. That lack of faith divides us from everybody else who has faith. And man, we need community. We need to build our communities. We need to be in contact with each other seven days a week, somebody. We've got to be in community. Community means common unity. That means that we live our lives together. We do things together. We don't separate ourselves from each other because when we do that, we cause division too. And you know the scripture that says, we're two more than gathered in my name that I am there. That's so important. We have to continue to be two or more gathering in his name as often as possible because he is there. And he gives us this power. And don't take the power for granted like the disciples did, you know, earlier on in the other, in, in uh, Matthew 9 here, where they cast out the other demon and they couldn't do it, you know, because they had no faith. They were more worried about who was greater. They were worried about their pride. They let their pride divide them from the power of the Spirit that they had been given. Don't do that either. Don't let pride get in the way. Humble yourselves before God, before each other, and pray for unity so that things like this, so that mute demons all around us can be cast away. We don't have to know their name. We have the power of God in us. We're not rabbis. We're not, we're, we're not living by Jewish tradition anymore. We're living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's always somebody new when I give a sermon, always, <laughs> every single time. <laughs> And I hope that you guys enjoy it, and I hope that you guys come back. I do. Um, we, are, we, do we do have a very strong church family, and if that's something you guys are looking for, definitely get involved. We'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father God, we know that you're here with us. We know that we've given authority over the principalities of darkness in your name. We know who we are in you, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we let life get in the way, and those things kind of fall to the back of our mind, Lord. But we ask you to continually bring to the forefront of our mind your power in our life and your, the authority that we've been given. We ask you to continue to connect these people in this congregation, not, in, not just in this congregation, Lord, but in, in all the churches across America, God. The division has to be done away with, Lord. We have to find unity. We have to find a common thread, a common purpose. And that purpose is for your gospel to be spread. And the truth of your gospel, not, the way, not what we make it to be. Father, I ask you to be with us today and remind us all day today, all day tomorrow, who we are and the way that you work. And help us to see more clearly what it is that you're trying to tell us through Scripture. And give us the, the, the desire, Lord. Help us to, to earn the desire to just continue to seek you through your word. I know a lot of us don't, don't read the word every day. And I'm sorry, because I don't. And I apologize for that, Lord. I repent of that, and I'm going to make a, and I'm going to make a point to do it more often. Because you have so much to say. So much to say between the lines that are printed in this book. If we read it like it's a book, that's all it is, is a book. But if we read it like it is your everlasting powerful word and purpose in our life, then it will make a difference for us. In your name we pray, amen.